and we're back welcome to print your games the podcast about what's new and awesome in 3d printing for gaming i'm one of your hosts jefferson j thacker also known as param and i'm joined by kristen sowards also known as seventh mastery oh kristen we're back from gen con we're rested up yeah and you know we wanted a nice easy topic something that was gonna be fun and relaxing and and just non-controversial to go through (laughs) so tonight's topic is can 3d printing escape the shadow of games workshop and i'm going to say that with ominous intent for the draws and uh i am not uh one to like just farm drama for drama's sake so don't expect that in my half of this conversation here but like there's some unavoidable truths to the the the, uh, 3d printing space and how much games workshop influences influences it not just it but like almost all of miniatures oh yeah and we will get in that later but before we jump onto the main topic as mm-hmm. always Kristen, you've been working mm-hmm. on anything cool for 3d printing yes um uh, my uh sorry my high falls um homebroom dd session is getting unstable players so we launched a radiant journeys to the radiant citadel based um Ooh. secondary campaign I want to play Radiant Citadel. It's super fun. And um, because that has a lot of non, um, you know, European mythologies, I actually got to print some really fun, um, some really fun kind of uh, more. These these guys, are, I think, are Indonesian themed. Um, Bakio, maybe, or they're super cool. Um, I use them for Storm Spirits. Explain hey. them. Explain them. They can't. Oh see. yes, to the people, to the people who can't see. Um, so this is a my mini. Uh, sorry, my bleh, mini monster mayhem miniature came from uh, their dynasty set, I think, from from several months back. But this is a big, huge, like think like a, a cougar or a lion, um, mm-hmm. but it's got three tails, and then it mm-hmm. has this really cool battle armor that's incredibly textured, and it. Um, it paints up like a dream. I had actually not ever busted out my um, speed paint 2.0 metallics yet. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I should try those. And the combination of the textures on this thing, they're swirly, jagged, curling, metallic. If you've seen Magic the Gathering, you might have the Esper kind of like uh, Ethereum metal swirls, very similar aesthetic. Um, but yeah, it's it's got this kind of like metal armor and it, it's uh, very easy to two-tone it and get like a striking thing. I did a base dark silver and um, some gold filigree stuff. They painted up just fantastic. Uh, you know, I, this just one set, you can get them, the Bakio, I think, by themselves, but that's also part of like that huge monthly release, of course. And I got it for $10. They look so cool. They really do. And I just, like, there's so many things I could use them for. Oh, yeah. And I, Mini Monster Mayhem just uh, does some fantastic sets. And I love that they reach into um, them in Clay Cyanide, especially. They just mm. really take a lot of chances with a whole lot of different sources and a lot of different inspirations. And very much the exact opposite of today's topic is a lot of what they go <laughs> exactly. for. Exactly. And kind of cool, though. Clay Cyanide mm-hmm. still also throws in a skirmish level um, theme set. They are unique theme sets, but you mm-hmm. get their mythology set and you get like bunny people or walrus mm-hmm. dudes or whatever. And so you get like a second set of minis that's very good for like a skirmish game, like um, mm-hmm. OPR Fantasy, Skirmish, or what is it? It's just Skirmish, isn't it? Yeah. Age of Fantasy Skirmish. That's the one. And, um, you know, you could also use them 
in any number of miniature agnostic. Speaking of our topic, <laughs> I also though did all the adventurers for that um, for the uh, Radiant Citadel game. Mm-hmm. I did them all in Eldritch Foundry and built those out, and that was super fun. Ah, very cool, very cool. I was kind of jealous about that that those because they look so awesome, and I'm like I. I I don't know what I'd use them for, but it's, I like it when I see those models. Like every so often I'll see one of those models. I have like, I have no use for you. I will find a use for you. You look so cool. You're I've latched onto you. I'm like, those gave me that reaction. Like when I saw the, the Triceratops, uh, they were basically meant to be uh, stand-ins for Ogryn in Warhammer fantasy. Mm-hmm. But instead of being Ogryn, they were freaking Triceratopses. Yeah super cool yeah and it was awesome and i don't know what just happened but music started playing randomly in my ear good news is we we cannot hear it good because i was panicking about getting copyright striked because i tapped my headset and it determined that you need to play your spotify right now you are okay yeah and that was that one and like i've seen so many of these like famously i always bring up like when uh, against the Giants came out, which is old D&D miniature set, and they had a mm-hmm. frost giant riding a mammoth with his spear up in the air, and I'm like, yes! I will find an encounter to put that in! Yes. And I love it when minis like... And 3D printing has made that so, happen so often and often and often again, because there are just like thousands of models coming out every single month from some really brilliant creators taking some interesting twists on things. And it's just almost impossible to keep up. It would, I think it is impossible to keep up with everything. I, I can't is. imagine anybody is. is printing the entirety. So if of you the use just a little, I mean, it's okay. I'm not going to lie. It is time intensive to look at all the previews. Mm-hmm. But if you keep a good eye, you can like turn off and on patrons and tribes and try to get that. Occasionally, there are a couple people who I adore that don't release their previews on time. And suddenly you're mm-hmm. like, do I stay sub to you or not? But you can always drop it and then add it back mid-month. So right. uh, my biggest problem is when I drop it with the intention of re-adding if I like it and then I don't go back and check in time and I miss a month. Mm-hmm. That bite the bullet for me, I've mm-hmm. missed so many good sets from bite the bullet because I'm Aww. like, well, I don't want goblins. Next set comes out and it's like, you know, Crimson Death Angels or something and I really want <laughs> that. And then like... And we're the opposite. I'm like, oh, Crimson Death Angels. Give me the bunny people. Yeah. Well, I have quite a stash of bunny people at this point. There's been a lot. Do you know why there's so many bunny people? Oh, it's uh, beyond the Wild Beyond the Witchlight added Herringon to uh, D&D. And then um, at the same time, they became playable in Final Fantasy XIV. And if you are a Final Fantasy XII fan, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Fran. uh, We have a lot of VR stands out in the community. I've been playing um, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, which is where they came from, and that's oh yeah, yeah. I did not know that. I uh, I have them because I play Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, which is ooh indeed. There are a lot of Final Fantasy STLs out there. Yes, Uh, Blasted Samaflange says I need to make bunny people with guns. Sure, I would take sci-fi. He says with guns, prefer the sci-fi. I would take sci-fi bunnies for sure. There is, if anime has taught me anything, there is plenty of room for animal people with guns. With guns, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. I actually go back and blame Brave Star because his horse would change and uh, had Sarah Jane, the big gun, mm-hmm. and it would always yep. be like, "I'll just use Sarah Jane." Yeah. Anyway, 
I love Bravestar, and I I, I, I thought that was like one of the few people who even remembered it. <laughs> oh no, permanently stained on my brain. So speaking of permanent, oh, so for me, I haven't been doing much 3D printing anything lately, no. uh, mainly because of two things. One, very busy catching up with all the stuff uh, OPR related after leaving Gen Con because, hey, when you work for OPR, lots of stuff happens all the time. Um, and then I also, the Saturn 3 came in and I want to use my Saturn 3. But you know what's in the way? Dealing with your old Saturn? Yes, I have my old Saturn and more importantly, my old Saturn's washing cure station. So like my little 3D printing area is like just really big enough for the washing cure station and the Saturn to be there comfortably. And when I was borrowed my friend's printer, I was able to have two printers in the washing cure station and it was a bit cramped, but usable. Sure. And I, that stuff is in the way. Also, mm -hmm. it's like filled with dirty IPA. So that's going to take time to deal with. Isn't that the worst, especially if you it, let it's it the worst part of this whole hobby. So yeah. like I have a few set ways that I deal with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, first things first, the, the, the answers that you do not do is pour it down the drain of course. or dump it on the ground outside because you do not want to contaminate your groundwater or your plumbing. Or Don't do that. Put it where the sun's going to hit it and just turns it. Yeah. So what I do is I go to, um, my local grocery store and I give them a dollar for a turkey pan. Okay. And then I pour it into the turkey pan I'm and I set it out in the sun. Hard. And why I do that is it just it has so much more surface area than just leaving a bottle out, which only has a little bottle to evaporate. So it sure. evaporates very quickly and the sun cures it super, super fast and well, especially since it's reflected from the bottom. And it just evaporates that stuff in a real big hurry and gets rid of it. Sure. And then I have I... just this big old bunch of cake stuff that I throw in the trash bag and I'm done. See, but my internal hoarder wants to take a bunch of my supports and then put that goo in the bottom, let it bake off all the alcohol and harden and get like this apocalyptic melted, like looking terrain piece out of it. So I find that that doesn't happen. What happens is you get poison jello. Ew. It's like this squishy, spongy like substance. It, 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 the word dirty it is, the worse it gets. So I've taken to doing like a milk jug and it does turn into just like a big gray gooey blob inside there. But I thought it was maybe because I wasn't letting stuff evaporate. But you're confirming that it's just poison jello no matter what. Well, because it's like it's 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 almost impossible to get it completely separated from the alcohol. So it's it's not. Like you would have to like filter it to get it back to mostly resin and not resin bonded with alcohol. We do not advise doing any of these things yourself for your own. Yeah, safety. please be very responsible with your <laughs> stuff and safe. But evaporating it and, and where the sun can cure it is the best way to get rid of the stuff. Also, alcohol evaporates super fast anyway. Sure. Um, and this is actually one of the other reasons I don't like water washable resin because water evaporates much, much slower and is harder to deal like sure you up until the the um the, the getting rid of it stage you've only had to deal with water but the water dirty with resin even though it's water washable resin is still toxic so it still has to be dealt with which means you're still left with the same solutions as the others of getting it out in the sun and evaporating it um hmm. but it takes longer because it's water instead of alcohol yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so well, I'm sorry I you didn't find out what to, to do. Print much. 
that that's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. I have a new Wash and Cure station with the Saturn Three that's sized for the Saturn Three, and they're both waiting. So what ultimately I need to do is to get rid of my old Wash and Cure station mm-hmm. and put my new one up, and then decide if I'm going to box away the Saturn or am I going to keep a Saturn and have or two Saturns? Slowly turn into a print farm. Right, 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 right. Am I slowly going to turn into a print farm? It's going to be like Ultra Magnus towards the end. You know. Um, you do. And I might. I might. No. Uh, I, to be honest, I very, like, there's a few times, like, panicking before a convention when I really needed that extra print capacity. Oh, yeah. I, I've definitely. Time, but I hate to say it. Most of my time, my printers sit idle, not, not printing anything. Because I, think... I print at the speed of using them. Yeah, I think what it gets me, and the reason I would want to sometimes, mm-hmm. is like, you know, cast and plays, in, interior, exterior thing, it's just about to finish. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to use a set of that stuff to make a nice board, mm-hmm. either for skirmish or for an RPG, I would print up a couple trays of that, but I'd also still probably be printing the monsters, and that would be rough to do both of those sets. Because... For me, at least, um, passable table-ready terrain, very quick paint-up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Monster, a little slower. Although, with speed paint and slab chop, it's getting better. To the point where I can I can field a whole table with custom minis and custom terrain. But that's uh-huh. still a lot to do printing time-wise, right? And so a second printer does sort of appeal to me. Yeah, thank the glories above for slap chop. Slap chop is a fantastic way of getting stuff out quickly. Honestly, I would have already ordered it, but I think the last day of Gen Con, I finally cracked because I ran into Paradigm Concepts, and I've always liked Arcanus, and they had a lot of their harder to track down titles just sitting there on a table, and I was like, "Damn it!" So I had to buy one, actually a couple. Excellent. I still Excellent. regret not buying the GM screen, though, because there's only like five of those left in print, period, and it was sitting right there. Why didn't you get it? Because I didn't have bag space. And then oh. I, if I had thought... I remember this was, this was a thing. It's like you you, you and bag space were the ultimate enemies of each other. It's true. Game. It's true. And if I had actually thought, because as you recall, I gave you that one pack of gaming paper grids. Mm-hmm. If I knew I was going to do that, I would have got that GM screen. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, and this is the uh, this is why I like living close enough to Gen Con to just drive up. Uh, honestly, Kentucky is like super great convenient wise because I'm a day's drive from Gen Con, Origins, Dragon Con, and PAX. Unlike. Yeah, that's that's kind of amazing actually. Now that I think about it, yeah. So I can hit all the East Coast conventions within a day drive, and uh, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm close to, to nothing except for our Vanex, which is decent size for a state state one, but. It's still not not any of those shows. Uh, but but you know what uh, we're going to have to talk about now? The sad. The sad. Not really. So if you've been 3D printing miniatures for, for any amount of time or involved in 3D printing gaming, um, it's hard to not notice that the majority of Patreons and creators out there create miniatures intended to be useful for a certain fan base and that fan base are the players of games workshops various games with a slight subset of rpgs for dnd after that i notice i said majority yeah and i do think that um when we, when i first got into it that was more like a 50 50 split 
-hmm. and it has not become a 50 50 split i mean it has become a majority games workshop hobby you got you got i think a couple of things feeding into that right you have Mm -hmm. the proxy people right like everybody wants to run like me i i like opr i like games workshop stuff I don't have a ton of people who would let me play proxies, but if someone said, hey, I really want to play 40K, I could feel the Chaos Army with minimal effort. I might have to go print a few rank-and-file Chaos Marines, Mm -hmm. but I could do that in like a a night, right? And again, slap chop them up pretty quick, Um, but I have tons of demons that would work, and I can do that quickly, right? But like, um, yeah, uh, when it comes to other things, you know, bespoke stuff like i really want say blasted seven flange and i'm not picking on you you're saying you're gonna do your your tactic game here with animal people with guns if it gets a rabid following it will do okay but there's that siren of always having a rabid following if you can tap warhammer's market and right. and that, i think you're you're kind of keying onto the why of it which we'll get into oh, but sure, i kind of sure. want to prove my point first okay so sdl top great website we mention it all the time uh, is is a way to track, you know, the uh, the top performing uh, STL company, the gaming miniature producers, um, and just going down the list. There's OPR. I can't talk about OPR. I've never OPR. heard of them. Who are they? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I can't. If in the in this frame of conversation, I have to. But I can. They're number one OPR. with a silver bullet. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Then there is Titan Forge. And Titan Forge used to lean a lot less mm-hmm. in the, like they were kind of even split, like uh, releasing a bunch of stuff really useful for RPGs and releasing stuff for Old Hammer. And then they have Cyber Forge. But now it is like most of their stuff is meant for uh, Warhammer inspired gaming. Mm-hmm. So, like the Ninth Age, which is a successor game to Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fan-made successor to that. And then on Cyberforge, it's just like very clearly they've got like one half of the entire Cyberforge releases called their Grim Dark release. And it's meant for um it totally is a 40k yeah, tag yeah. on for sure. Um but one they do thing a bunch of cyberpunk stuff too. Wanna, so that's one point out about STL top though is that mm-hmm. Cyberforge is not counted in the Titan Forge number, it's its own number later. Oh place. crap. Okay. So um yeah, it's there. That is a little closer to uh, mm-hmm. that OPR, whoever they are, um, people. But uh, it's still it's, uh, leaps and bounds, I think, above most things. Then you got MZ four two fifty. Yeah, yeah. They're Miguel. just dedicated, dedicated to role playing. Yep, yeah. yeah. All right. Then you got Arc Villain Games. Arc Villain Games used to be dedicated to role playing. Their fantasy side still is kind of dedicated to role playing although very very strong high elf proxy sets have been sneaking out by the way yeah yeah and uh arc villains like arc villains stupidly good quality miniatures yeah and then if you look at their sci-fi offering it is explicitly warhammer inspired but like uh, really really sexied up like they did a lot of like new theming like Mm -hmm. if you want the necron army but want it like egyptian hardcore egyptian vibe Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. their necron army right and like they they definitely it's got a little identity but it's still clear what they're doing yeah lord of the print does their own thing and very rpg focused honestly i would say more gigantic fantasy statue focused Mm -hmm. but like absolutely lovely miniatures gonna poke Uh, a hole in you on this one a little bit uh Uh, they actually have 
two chaos armies recently. They have released stuff that is for 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 the sake of of uh, of, of conversation. I'm going to just say grimdark inspired. Yeah, but there's also a chaos fantasy about the fantasy and the sure. and the 40k things. Fair enough. So they have released a bunch of grim a couple of grimdark inspired stuff. But that's not the majority of their release. I mean, they still really, I think, are known for having their big monster or two monsters mm-hmm. of the month, right? Right. To me, that like when we went to uh, Gen Con, when you mm-hmm. looked at the um, resellers, the the licensed merchants, mm-hmm. it was always the big dragons. It was always mm-hmm. the big angel. It was always the big, like, sh- stunning jaw dropper from oh, yeah. a monthly that, release. That Tiamat they released. I keep seeing that again and again. It is mad. Massive, and it's so much better than the uh, WizKids Tiamat. For sure, for sure. Cast and play started off pure D&D support, 5e releasing everything with dungeon tiles and stuff. And the last year or so, it's been like very grim, dark releases. Big old army sets, no terrain, um, like very much proxy-friendly gaming involved there. Um, yeah, and Artisan- this most recent Mage Guild set, mm-hmm. I really... I, I normally have a lot of FOMO when I missed out on them, but this last year, because of what you're talking about, it's like, well, if I want that, you know, ogre set or whatever, I'm gonna go get it from Artisan Guild. I'm gonna go get it from wherever. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of cast and play, yeah, I've missed a lot of them because of that. But speaking of Artisan Guild, go ahead. Then there's Artisan Guild, uh, who is very grimdark inspired stuff, which is like. Grim dark useful minis very much inspired by World of Warcraft's aesthetics. And that is the thing. They, every creator here, I'm not saying they're making copycat minis. They're absolutely not. They're throwing their own spin. They're just yep. making sure that their interest, they're usually also things that could be easily used to for people who play GW inspired wargaming. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate the niche because, like, mm-hmm. for instance, how many you could easily go out and buy like, you know, Warhammer fantasy sixth edition books mm-hmm. for like pennies on the dollar. No. And, and go endlessly expensive. No, really? Yeah. Like even beat up ones. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. You could also get PDFs. I'm, I'm just going to say it. You, you could acquire the rule set, but you can't acquire the army anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you want to play that rule set, Mm-hmm. this this feels yeah. well, yeah. like we mentioned like when we first got into this old hammer was like literally probably the biggest niche like mm-hmm. not even stuff for modern like uh, 40k oh yeah age of sigmar it was old hammer stuff and that's i think that's because well total war had made old hammer cool again and mm-hmm. vermintide also came in to do that so there was a lot of like new stuff in the zeitgeist that was making the old world very awesome and you couldn't get those minis and mm-hmm. also, those minis were made in the 90s and the early 2000s, and they looked a little derpy uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, they really leaned into a uh, aesthetic there, like a very exaggerated comical aesthetic. There was um, something about the Imperials with their big plumes, but cast in pewter was like just so clunky. And that was the other thing is like stuff that's cast in pewter, like metal miniatures they're they're glorious but getting super super fine detail on metal is more difficult than it is in plastic mm-hmm. um and also those molds degrade faster true uh so that's that's there two of the identical mini could have drastically different quality quality control um 
anyway, so having the stuff that looked like these video games we were playing or how we remembered it or the art that inspired it was suddenly possible with like uh, with the new creators creating old hammer stuff that looked fantastic or was like a complete new spin on the concept. Right. Uh, Cyberforge. Uh, we already talked about Cyberforge. Yeah. Uh, very, very old hammer. Dragon Trapper's Lodge has become very uh, very Grimdark inspired. Because of the added that second tier that has the mm. Grimdark offering. And, you know, good good on them because they're not always Grimdark, but they are mm -hmm. definitely war game mm -hmm. releases for sure. Printing Goes Ever On falls into this category, even though they're doing their own thing. It's Lotro inspired. Right. But they're targeting the people who play the Lotro games. I think, I think that's fair. I think yeah. that's a fair statement. Which is again made by Games Workshop, right? But if you're also just wanting cool Lotro miniatures for role playing, fantastic place. All these people—they're not discouraging their original artistic. We're just talking about common uses, com target markets for their their. Story. So are we eleventh place there for DM Stash? Yeah, DM Stash. So that RPGs. to me is the first RPG focused one that's not cashed in on grimdark stuff. Well, no, there's MC forty two fifty. Completely. Oh, that's true. But but that's also um, like mostly free stuff, right? So yeah, I don't know. Like uh, pay to play mm -hmm. DM stash feels like the first D and D focused. Now, granted, it's also super D and D focused. Mm -hmm. um, one that that doesn't have like a very clear grim dark attachment, right? Cobra mode. They're they they're one of the uh, boutique miniatures. Yeah, so I would say one of the holdouts the against this phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, Lord of the Print would also classify as boutique, but they're like also super successful and they do very cool dragons. Um, Highland miniatures, squad, but yeah, Highland miniatures, amazingly grim dark. They are like honestly, if you like old hammer Highland miniatures, you need to pay attention to. Yeah, the Maker's Cult, the OG of three D printed grim dark. Uh, and also amazing stuff. Print your monsters back and forth between RPG and Grimdark. Uh, yeah. Duncan Shadow. Very much Grimdark inspired stuff. But occasional waves of intense cuteness. Mm -hmm. But also that intense cuteness is also playable as in Grimdark games. Fair. Flesh of Gods. RPG focused. Mm -hmm. Mia K. It's another Ilmsy 4250 situation. Like, it's mostly free stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Very RPG-focused. Gamic, Extremely grimdark. 3D art guy. So grimdark probably needs to worry. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of their stuff gets put behind a membership wall that's a little less mm -hmm. direct. Yeah. Mammoth Factory started off super RPG focused mm -hmm. has taken a turn towards the grim dark. Yeah, I'd still say it's leaning D&D, but you're right. Mm -hmm. Tyrant or sorry, Titan Troll. He's normally this here to speak one. for himself, but he's not here today. Yeah, Titan uh Titan Troll uh it's kind of I say they they mostly focus on original super realistic art very historical inspired arts very mm -hmm. awesome faces but definitely also influenced by the grimdark by like even the the feature thing for this month is very much skaven inspired models and 
I can understand that. Besterium miniatures. I think we're seeing a second, uh, sorry, a third group of influence starting with this one. Because if Dark Souls I, influence? Dark Souls influence, that's about to say. And so I'm going to say video game influence, because if you look at the next one, it's Bite the Bullet. And they are wow. So wow influenced. So they are wow influenced, but they always make sure that their stuff is grim, dark friendly. Sure. I mean, and that, that kind of comes with the territory. Sure. But like they released a whole Sisters of Battle set. Right. Know? But I do think that we're looking at these. This third thing is still IP derived kind of, but from video games, mostly. Mini Monster Mayhem. I don't even know how to classify them. They're definitely doing their own crazy thing. Very, like, I won't say even video game inspired. It's like just craziness inspired. They have I would done say delves do, into video games. They do a very tight theme, mm -hmm. but it's a variable theme. Right, yeah. They're, they're variety. If, yeah. if they were a Twitch streamer, they would be in the variety channel. Yeah, that's fair. Unit 9, so cyberpunk it hurts, and I love it. And I this is a quintessential example of the... I don't like this set. I'm going to unsub. And then I miss the most amazing set the next month. And I just like kick myself. White Werewolf Tavern is boutique. I'd say boutique, but squad friendly. Um, very much. It's usually at least a three to four count unit of some kind that would go into a, a place. And then we get to Dragon's Rest, which is unique in that it's terrain. And at mm -hmm. this point onwards, we are in sub 1000 patron territory. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about the majority of the market now. Now, now the, I meant the majority of market share, the, the market share. And from here on out, it's down to like Much very more. niche audiences yeah. and you, independent creators doing very cool things. Like it's not that there's these creators are not worth looking into. Oh in gosh. Fact, the most opposite. Of, most of my favorites pay are attention to them. Yeah. Down there. In yeah. fact, um, mm -hmm. the, is it, can't read it yash the one that's right there with the manticore oh yashashi the very dnd focused love it though a really tight release theme every month um there's always a poll of hey what do we want to work on next and then really kind of a, a crisp great take on one or two monsters maybe a couple poses so we went through that whole list and grimdark your gw related gaming use is the majority of it mm -hmm. like by by a huge margin and then like dnd came in like a distant second um uh, distant ish i still think it's close I, mean, I, don't, okay. I don't think it's close that's fine <laughs> uh, but is this something that can change like is this the the reality that we're always going to be stuck with like is gw going to re dictate and influence the what is available in the entire 3d sphere because like when i first was getting into it like i was not a war gamer like i had appreciation for some mm -hmm. warhammer video games and i played a little bit with friends armies and stuff but i wasn't like deep in the lore and i just and like it just like why are all the lizard man wearing mesoamerican stuff like is it all that way was mm -hmm. that every single lizard model that comes out seems to be decked out in mesoamerican stuff and then it's like wait what's with all these really fluffy pantaloons on things like why has everybody got like pantaloons yeah what's going on with this it's and like big plumes they it's, all look like just, don quixote yeah 
and it just kept going on and on. It's like, like until I realized that, you know, oh, wait, this is just all like deep into the Warhammer vibe and, you know, meant to be proxies for various things or inspired by those worlds. Like I wouldn't call what the Heretic Miniatures makes as proxies. Good Lord, they don't map one to one to hardly anything. They're just like unique characters that would very much live in one of those worlds. Um, and, and even then, a lot of these aren't, might not even be direct proxies. They're just very much inspired by that aesthetic. And then you get the opposite, which is it's a proxy, but it has a completely different aesthetic than the standard stuff. And sure. that, that's kind of where I kind of jive. That's what like, I really like. It's why I like the um, uh, Puppets War. Mm-hmm. The Puppets War stuff is is really great for that. Oh, yeah. And, like the Bushido Oryx are the best. Mm-hmm. That is so yeah. cool. It's such a cool vibe. For sure. And like their their cybernetic nids are also really cool. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's optional. So if you want to try to proxy them as close as possible to your existing tier nids, you can. But if you want to, you can go, nah, this one has like robot head. Yeah. And also like the samurai. Um, I like samurai. And they, so they got that whole like samurai ninja aesthetic for the strikers. So if you want your Marines to be a little bit more dexterous, that's always an option. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but still, like it's it's that target audience. Like you can you can make the one to one. You say, oh, okay, this is appealing to fans of these other games. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, we also mentioned this. We didn't mention too much quote unquote RPG inspired miniatures. We did say explicitly D and D audience stuff. And and to be super fair, I will say that. A lot of those people are also very happy with the Pathfinder fans that find their stuff. I know that MZ4250 has been explicitly making Pathfinder stuff. Bat the Bullet has been explicitly making Pathfinder stuff, like focused at that audience specifically over a generic D&D audience. But in general, Pathfinder itself would be a D&D inspired game. It's true. It, it, it's part of that lineage. And Just like many of the know, same people. Kings of War or OPR are yeah yeah absolutely kings of war is most definitely a a gw inspired thing the fact Mm -hmm. that it's a game that allows you to play with very intentionally the models you have from that other game correct um, yeah is definitely part of that lineage and like everything has its niche like kings of war came around when it was like hey rank and flank is dying because they killed off the old world and to be fair it was dying for a while there were there was reasons that like the numbers were going down and a lot of that was self-inflicted wounds uh like gw towards the end was like intentionally passing making the rules encouraging you to buy hordes and hordes and hordes of models of course more than was practical um and so like kings of war is a direct response to that it's like super fast it's not long like you don't need hordes and hordes of models but you still want lots of models and it's like it's all about tactics and ranks and stuff and it's very much not a mass skirmish age of sigmar style thing it's not blobs of things clashing together it's like positioning and 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 trying to get advantage is everything in that game and it is a stupidly amazing fun game to play yeah, I don't want to ignore Blasted Samaflange's uh, vulnerable comment, actually, in chat here. Uh, completely understand derivative proxy stuff. I just can't bring myself to create something that is Warhammer with the serial numbers file up. Uh, I'd probably make more money if I did. And, and yeah, you probably would. Yeah. 
So that is the key. That is the crux of all of this. Why is when we went to Gen Con, everything flying a 5e banner or 5e compatible banner or, or some form of that? Um, why is, why does Tales of the Valiant care about being backwards compatible with a 5e audience or familiar to that audience? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing here. It's like, there is this massive, absolutely crazily huge audience that wants cool freaking miniatures. Yep. And there is a, a open niche here because GW sure as heck ain't providing 3D printed stuff. And let's also be super honest. GW's stuff looks great, but has a very specific aesthetic. So mm -hmm. if you're not into that aesthetic, that's another oh, reason yeah. to get out of it. Um, like Age of Sigmar stuff does look beautiful, though. Like I it would does. Just, but I'll say Age of Sigmar. I, stuff I will say some of the new minis they had at Gen Con that I hadn't seen yet. I was like, wow, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. are trying to pace their quality. Yeah. And rely on the things that injection molding can do that 3D printing can't, right? Like to create some geometries and some poses that would be difficult. I'm not saying impossible for 3D printer. Well, that injected molded plastic can get away with those like very tiny strands that support giant, not weigh nothing models. Like this skull chain hanging off yeah. of your demon wing situation. Yeah. Right. Like, like the, the, it, has, it has the flex and the strength to do that. And mm -hmm. resin, you could do that. Just don't bump it. Yeah, don't bump it. Don't <laughs> sneeze. Don't breathe. Don't let it. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of answers here. Do you mm -hmm. want me to start throwing some at you? Well, I think we're going to be on the same page of stuff. But like, there's this giant audience. And if you want to stay in business, you need to make money. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that appealing to that audience to some degree attracts money. Because yeah. there's smaller audiences for other things. Madness of John Bear Ross there. John Bear Ross says people say they want original sculpts, races, concepts, but their buying habits say otherwise. Exactly. They do. Um, and I think there's a couple reasons. Uh, you know, on, on a level, people want gaming is social. We want to come together. We want to be part of a group. Mm -hmm. And so to join into a niche hobby, yes, it kind of has that, as Glass uh, of Sam Flange said, hipster appeal, right? But mm -hmm. It's, it's going to be, by its very nature, a more lonely situation. It's going to be harder to find people to play with. It's going to be, uh, you know, more challenging to get people to understand. The chances, if you say, I play Dungeons & Dragons, or even Warhammer, especially after Henry Cavill, like, like right. did his whole thing, people are like, oh, yeah, that's that thing that, like, The Witcher's into, right? Like, there's, mm -hmm. there's this cultural touch point where... Mm -hmm you don't feel as ostracized. And a lot of us who are old in these hobbies felt plenty ostracized, even when we were coming up in these mainstream games. And the idea of like being like, you know, I love Malifaux. I love Malifaux. I like almost everything Weird Games has done. Um, I have played Malifaux like six times ever. Mm -hmm. And I have probably five, five full teams worth of Malifaux stuff. They're gorgeous. They have an amazing aesthetic, but like, I can't find anybody who even knows what it is, let alone for someone to play with. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a, a good example of why these boutique situations are struggling. And then, of course, from the creator side, the, the game designer side, you know, you're either going to do a couple things. You're going to get a super fan base that's like, you know, like my company has about 500 really strong fans. Mm -hmm. And if I make something, a percentage of them will buy everything I do. Mm -hmm. That percentage is not enough to keep me full-time game designing. I have to branch out. 
And, um, you know, I, I wish that wasn't the case. Honestly, I would probably keep creating content for Pathfinder one for quite some time, but that's not going to keep the lights on, you know? And also when people will say, I want something different. And even if you take them at their word, everybody's different is different because the mm -hmm. second it's not the popular thing, it's going to be their not even their specific, but it's going to be a smaller niche that is going to be in a completely random direction and appeal to their specific tastes and mm -hmm. getting enough of those to line up to be a business is hard. Yeah. Yeah. The curse of the heartbreaker. Um, oh you know, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I talk about this with RPG design all the time where it's like, if you're going to write a poem and mm -hmm. it, these games are elaborate and they have met, you know, whatever. So you're going to write a poem. Do you use the language that you live in that, you know, and you've known since you were born, or do you make up a new best language for your poem that nobody else will connect to whatsoever, because it's going to be your language. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's, it sucks. But like, you know, I had my little first heartbreaker. I think I was 19. It was very Highlander expired, like, because I liked the idea that what if experience was actual power? Like when you killed someone, you got their like energy. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And like, mm -hmm. nobody grokked it at all because it was so right. weird. And to do, especially in modern things, it's just uh, the mo in the modern environment just like in video games the the production standards that you need to meet to compete are so high mm -hmm. that if you're appealing to a niche audience of 500 people like you just said it comes really hard to justify that art budget because like for for, for, the, for those of you who do not know mm -hmm. art is like the majority expense in tabletop gaming it is like it dwarfs everything else I can... because you need it even at best, even at the skimpiest amount of art, you're doing a, a piece of art every other page spread. And that mm -hmm. is that that don't I don't really think that flies anymore. No. I, and honestly, that's still ludicrous. I mean, I exceeded I'm not going to say numbers, but I exceeded my Kickstarter budget on art by, mm -hmm. um, I think, 400 percent, mm -hmm. um, which was bad business. But it's still to this day, you know, there are p places where you turn six pages without a picture in my Really, really big book. Let's be fair. Right. But um, yeah, your thing is your freaking thing is a phone book. Yeah, it's huge. But um, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was still skipping six, seven pages now and then. You know, five hundred percent of the actual art budget, and you know, and of course, when we're in a, we're a situation where there's ethical concerns about AI and stuff, you're not going to use that solve. And mm -hmm. so you've got you've got the situation where you know you either do the stripped down thing. And a lot of companies are going to the zine, to the black and white, to the old school pamphlet style stuff, mm -hmm. which works for some people. But when you're like, I'm sorry, a lot of us modern gamers now were imprinted on three, five and 40 K highly illustrated, highly graphical treatments on every page. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you want. You want to be part of that crowd and people, if they look at your product and they say, this looks like you made it in a Xerox machine with some staplers. <laughs> and yeah. And the, but th there used to be a time when that is exactly how that was made. Like the industry ran on stuff that looked oh. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, TSR, a lot of their old right. books, some of the stuff I love, I like have worn to pieces on my shelf. It's basically like library mimograph almost mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. 
And Don Juan, uh, Don Juan, Don, uh, in chat, uh, has a very got very close to what we are actually at. Says, "Sorry, hits too soon. I prefer unique sculpts, but I also prefer to have a game to play them with. As game designers push into different areas, I love it when unique uh, miniatures follow them." So here's the situation. Like that is the niche that like a lot of the 3D, like a, a ton of the 3D printed p companies uh, are occupying right now is like the, you can use these in those fun games. You can, you can use these in whatever the most popular game you're playing. And they usually like hedge their bets because they provide them with base packs that fit like every possible game you would want to play this mm -hmm. thing with. Um, like if you want to go old hammer, fine you want to go opr fine you want to go kings of war fine if you want to go age of sigmar fine yeah it's like all available and of course 40k is supported all the wazoo for all the sci-fi stuff um but the the art style it's com very original most of the time completely original a lot of the time so it's like yes i can tell that that probably is meant to be this game stat profile and, and the, uh, use it but it's a freaking ninja rat with a swirl of fan blades and not like the pestilence god or uh, right, the, right. The, the the avatar Skaven overlord god thing. thing. Yeah. 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 There, there's another piece to this that I think is mm -hmm. interesting. Um, if you look at 40K, which is a, as mm -hmm. an example, um, these games, D&D is the same way, mm -hmm. are served by edition churn. Right. So they want to basically force you to adapt a whole new game. And if you take out the lore and the art, it is a whole new game. And you are learning a whole new game over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I know people are like, oh, I'm just here for this tactical experience. I'm here to have this miniatures game. I'm here to get the win, win, win and tactics and da, da, da. But honestly, it is the lore and the art that the spirit yes. of that genre is the thing that keeps people identifying these brands. Mm -hmm. And that spirit is actually what people are coming back to. They're not coming back. They're not coming back to 10th edition. They're coming back to Tyranids. They're coming back to dwarves that have, you know, their eternal grudge. I forget what the word is. They're, they're, they have a like sacred grudge situation. I forget how it works. But you know what I'm saying? That that's the story. They're coming back for the narrative. They're coming back for the Forgotten Realms or Tiamat. They are not coming back for 5.5 or 1, whatever we're calling it, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, and that... I think is dangerous to, to compete with because now you're not just competing with eighth edition and seventh edition and whatever you're competing with the entire legacy of those worlds. Mm -hmm. And that means you are in D and D's case, you know what? 50 years behind. Right. I mean, they, there's been groups that have managed it. Um, Paizo managed it. Galarian is like super beloved by its fan base. Oh yeah. But again, there's also a segment of their fan base that just considers it another world in D and D's multiverse. Yeah, this is true. Or the, or, and the reverse, a bunch of people that just play Pathfinder rules in Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like they, they got away a little. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, that's my, uh, that's my Wednesday night game. Um, we're playing Eberron setting using Pathfinder first edition rules. So yeah. like, yeah. And, and other than that's not a bad thing. You just get the use out of this content that you want. There's no wrong way to have your fun. Oh, yeah. I, I would argue that it's not even... I think that what supports Games Workshop is its fan base for its settings. Like, how many people are talking laughing around... Like, there, uh, so much of their inner geek identity it revolves around, like, quoting Red makes it go faster and for the Emperor memes. And or just all that stuff. Wah! 
yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, There's so know. like so many fans of the world and the lore they've made there. But I think these communities, when it comes to actually actually putting miniatures on the table, which is a subs like a tiny fraction of that group, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, actually putting miniatures on the table and rolling dice, and then an actual smaller group that paints them. Yeah, <laughs> that actually what they're attracted to is that's the biggest group of game. That's the game I can get a game in with. Mm -hmm. Is is what's attracting them to those games? It's like, oh yeah. And that is incredibly insular. And as somebody who's run game stores and handled organized play across, you know, and in play groups, it's actually very cellular. It's not quite as uniform as you think, but like your particular area will have a group of options available to you that is populated. Mm -hmm. And that changes from area to area, but there's a few ones that are usually you can find. So like yeah. while my local groups here, it's got like, um, gosh, what are they? I, I even forget this game. It's like a monster. I don't play it, but it's like a bunch of monsters. Monster Apocalypse. It's got a huge oh, Monster yeah. Apocalypse scene that meets every week, and like dozens of players get together to play Monster Apocalypse. But you know, there's also the 40k scene, and there's of course the D and D scene, and the Magic Night is crazy, and the Pokemon Night is crazy. Um, so these big games always happen and are, are will usually happen in your area. And then you'll have a subset of other things that have managed to have like a group of gamers have built a community around it locally. And that'll right. be your options. You like but, here, for instance, mm -hmm. we had a war machine store. Right. It, was, it was an outlier mm -hmm. where the, that store specifically, it blew 40 K and like created a whole region of the city where people, were war machine people and they were hordes people yeah that was us too like warhammer got kicked out well not kicked out but like everybody that was playing warhammer back then when i think it was in second edition war machine um oh, i forget that what sounds it was right. Prime that sounds right or something like that yeah um was was the thing and for like two years that is what we played mm -hmm. um and that was that and then just kind of went away mm-hmm which I'm still not sure I understand. As but. I understand it, there's some controversies with the company and like some decisions with the game and like the, they made an addition change that didn't go over well. Well, no. so like the things that you commonly see that that make a game sure. uh, fall out popular because if you're that niche game, you're that much at risk to right. just being yesterday. You, you can't just you can't have that one miss, right? Yeah, we were talking about it last week with Lorcana. It's like like odds are. Lurkana is just this year's fad. We might, we might be wrong, but it might survive off of Disney fandom, right? We and I think know that's how that's going to work. That's interesting. To this, that is almost a proof for our theories here, because if Lurkana can like go the distance, mm -hmm. a la Hercules, that was an unintentional reference, but uh, mm -hmm. that th that might prove the, prove the theory if the IP and the lore of Disney's metaverse mm -hmm. is powerful enough to carry a brand new game into prominence. Kind of like, um, I actually think Final Fantasy XIV was the last time we saw that, where an MMO player jumped in. I know there was 11, and people love 11, but 14 was that time that it broke through wow big, and even had a false start with uh, Realm Reborn situation. Right. But um, it had that power of all the other fandom of Final Fantasy behind it and, and got to like break through to that point where it kind of hit like a zeitgeist level. Mm -hmm. And really, it was the only thing 
that ever lasted or has lasted against uh, WoW as WoW being the prominent lore of MMO space, right? Yeah, but here's the thing. That, that awesome license you have is also your gigantic Achilles heel, as we have seen with the as as Star Wars fans oh. of the various games have tragedy. Seen, that license is mm -hmm. ephemeral. It's true. Disney giveth and Disney taketh away. And if sure, they sure. Lord Canna can only last as long as they have that license. Mm -hmm. And the second that license disappears, that entire game is toast. And we've seen it happen to many iterations of Star Wars games over the years. So yeah. many Star Trek games over the years. Yeah. We've even seen it happen with Robotech, for goodness sake. And we used to think that that was freaking eternity in the gaming sphere. Palladium's no. Robotech game. Oh my gosh, I'm surprised that that ever, ever changed hands. Um, and it's just like so many examples of that. If, if you are tying the success of your product it's like that closely to somebody else's brand, you are not in control of your audience. It's true. You're I mean, they weren't in control of their lines, so why would I expect anything else? Oh, yeah. Yes, I apologize. Uh, anybody who knows me in any gaming space will be hearing me complain about the lines for Larkana for years. I will laugh about it, but I'm not going to complain about it anymore. Because mm -hmm. uh, that's a story that is done. And mm -hmm. as far as I can tell... Uh, What's that about... Bearded people who hold grudges in a sacred banner. <laughs> That's going in the book. It's going in the book. That's it. The book of grudges. Lorcana mm -hmm. is just like a whole chapter header for me. <laughs> so, like, and honestly, everything we just said about Games Workshop also applies to Dungeons and Dragons because oh, that's sure. the other giant segment in this. So, the, you've got these two ginormous brands. That influences the entirety of tabletop miniature gaming. Well, and here's a point of nuance, right? Mm -hmm. We have talked about how D&D isn't nearly the market share that 40K is with this it, with this influence, the shadow, right? Mm -hmm. We're calling it the shadow of, of influence. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, D&D historically died the death of many genres, at least according to some people, by creating too much diversity in its IP. We need to be um, very careful with how we say too much diversity here. Well, no, yes. Sorry. Too much variance. <laughs> right. They split their party. How's that? Is that a better D&D flavor? They, they, a lot of people didn't like Birthright. A lot of people didn't want to take up Everon. Yeah. And so I, this is very famous in many of the, the, the dissections of how TSR fell. Which I actually think wasn't the main reason that they had a problem, but, um, but it is often cited, and it is something that has split their fan base. I mean, I've talked with Lisa Stevens about this, and like, you know, she like we recorded this many, many times on mm -hmm. podcasts, and like she's the one who literally went into the financial department and dissected that. Like, it was mm -hmm. her job to do that. So she, I, I trust her judgment mm -hmm. on this because, like, literally, her profit margins depended on getting this right and proved to right. Uh, and it was distributed. That was part a and secondly they had lost so much track with their expenses that they were literally releasing product that cost them more to make than they got when they sold it right right um which i adore because i loved all of it mm -hmm. um and and super excited about my discovery day but i want to talk about it on the show um but yeah the uh that hydra head regardless of its reality fiscally for tsr did split the community. 
because I found myself at odds with Greyhawk fans when I was mm -hmm. saying I was a Forgotten Realms fan. But if I went to a, I'd said, but I also like the circle of, you know, whatever and Bigby and all this stuff and talked about, you know, Greyhawk, then the Forgotten Realms fans shut me out sometimes. And so it mm -hmm. created a more like fragmented customer base. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of why D&D didn't achieve that kind of like, like 40K monolithic for the emperor, I detect the heresy, et cetera, cultural energy. Right. Because they tried to do too many official settings simultaneously and it divided their customer base. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Pathfinder's Galarian has just as much variety in it, it very much explicitly. Um, not maybe not just as much, but has a ton of <laughs> has a ton of nods towards those classic settings as locations, but has unified them into one thing. Slightly so implausible you, thing. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's I call it it's I call it the greatest kitchen sink. Because yes. it is absolutely the kitchen sink setting, but they did it so well and then they embraced that with the society they embraced that whole concept that all of these things just mix and trade with each other all the time and, and you're going to end up in a party with a vampire from mm -hmm. not transylvania and a wild west gunslinger and not a barbarian a wielding yet. a laser sword and well it was kind of like they said okay we're gonna take this half of the main continent it's gonna basically be toril again and we're gonna take this half of the continent and it's gonna be like ravenloft but there's also gonna be like this weird demon planescapey bit and then there's gonna be like this down here and like you know we have eberron that's kind of the mana waste area which even like more lands mana waste not gonna say any more than that but like yeah it's it is you, you nailed it it is all the campaign settings in one setting so they're trying to avoid the thing but yeah it, it still feels a little too hodgepodge because of that to me. Yeah, I kind of just embrace the hodgepodge. It's just like enjoy the pulpy. Like this is a Saturday morning cartoon, and we're this week we guest starring. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's interesting to compare it to say Radiant Citadel, which has fourteen new worlds in it, but they're just here's the city on this world. Here's kind of what's around it, and then it's just do whatever you want with the rest of it. Cause that's the five E way, right? Just do whatever, fill in the rest of it yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to do. The math's not hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Oh, I like, but, actually, I really like five E. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I do. Like I, I have really swung around on it. Like I love PF one. I love my crunchy bits. I love three, five. Mm -hmm. I love narrative systems like cypher. I'm, I'm learning, you know, monster of the week and stuff, but five mm -hmm. E is kind of, in that middle lane that's kind of like a little bit of everything and a little bit of vagueness to just do whatever you need to do with the rest of it okay. and i'm appreciating it more the more i play baldur's gate 3 like every other breathing person on wait you started playing baldur's gate 3 is this why i haven't heard like half as much from you as normal i have like got not enough hours for that to be true in that game but like mm -hmm. the few hours i get i i have been playing some baldur's gate 3 uh, Blast of Samuflage just said, uh, there are times that hodgepodge settings can work. Rifts. 100% um, agree. And Rifts made those distinct worlds. Okay. So it was I think much you're all... more plausible. I think Go it's on. an interesting argument that infinite access to multiverses is more plausible than... Way more plausible. Than just having, like, a neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, oh gosh, there's there's we'll, arguments to be had because like we'll, oh my gosh, we'll do this out, but we don't have enough time. Yeah, this we do not, do not. I will just say that history has proven that you can have this much variety in the world in a single world. <laughs> sure, but can you have enough to to base an entire campaign of bad guys out of it? I don't know. If you've oh, got an endless world of Cthulhu mm. horror monsters, it's much more likely that the party can fight them sixteen times. Hmm. Where if there's home, what's that? That's a lot of times fighting Cthulhu hordes. Uh, You've seen my minis. Uh, I see. I don't mind this week. I'm fighting Cthulhu hordes. And next week, it's the robots from space. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's actually a personal pain point. Because I've always liked uh, Magitek, you know, Final Uh Fantasy Magitek. Yes, they're robots. But we don't call them robots. Mm Mm-hmm. Galorian called them robots, and now my players and, call them robots. And no matter and what I can do, they're called robots. And right. that is a very similitude deal breaker for me sometimes, and I kind of want to shake them. It's because they literally are robots, because they're from advanced civilizations, they're not from Star And <laughs> quite frankly, the, my favorite news about Paizo mm-hmm. is that SF2 is going to be completely compatible and integrated with PF2. Yeah, and, that would be nice. Then I can have my riffs setting with with PF two SF two. When if when when Starfinder first edition came out, I thought it was just practice run for Pathfinder second edition, and that it was going to still be compatible. But it turned out that was not what happened at all. Yeah. yeah. All right, we have run out of time, and we honestly, there's so much to this topic. We I really wish we had more time, but we are at our hour. Uh, is there anything you want to shout out to, Kristen? Well, I'm just going to cr- shout out to our creatives, the people who are in chat here, and just mm-hmm. anybody who listens to this. Just because the market is stepping on your throat, asking you to make grimdark stuff, does not mean you have to do it. If you cultivate your fan base, you can survive. I want to also show out, if you decide to do it because you want to stay in business, that's also not a bad choice. Yeah, we won't judge you for that either. In fact, I'll probably sub to you anyway. because I sure as heck can't judge you. No, <laughs> I just want that out there. I want it out there, like Blasted Sima Flange, and you know all of our regular designers in here, Herberto, uh, mm-hmm. you know everybody. Just seriously, uh, okay. keep, also, keep creating, please. There's nothing wrong with being a GW fan. I want to throw that out there too. Oh, I like for the Emperor. I, Emperor's takes the speech engine is like one of my favorite YouTube shows, and I'm play. I'm going to be playing the crap out of Bolt Gun again here soon. So like, yeah, I like I like the. Uh, I like uh, all of this stuff, and yeah, there's nothing wrong with any of this game. Keep creating, like, do what you got to do to survive, but also, you know, don't let it kill you by right. forcing you to make uh, endless imperial bolters. But, but let's answer—we haven't answered the question. We haven't yeah. answered the question. Can it escape this shadow? Um, not unless a new zeitgeist, a new community lore replaces it. I don't think right. so. I um, think that D and D is escaping its zeitgeist, and not because something replaced D and D. Um, something instead because something replaced D and D. Because community. we've seen a generational shift, mm-hmm. and the what is considered D and D today is unrecognizable to what I would have considered D and D in the eighties. And if you want a whole nother topic, mm-hmm. the tactical decision to take the biggest live play. And not do a 5v compatible follow-up game. That's a whole thing right there. That's crazy. Anyway. 
All right. If you want to follow up what we're doing or watch any of our previous shows or any of this awesome content, you can do so over at printyourgames.com. You can also find us on all the socials at uh, Print Your Games, usually at Print Your Games uh, on the other socials, except for YouTube where it's slash Param. And until next time, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. I'm Kristen Sowers, also known as Seventh Mastery, and don't forget to use your screen protector, at least until one's built into your printer for you. You still have to replace them, so it's going to be don't remember to check your screen protector. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a new line when it gets that ubiquitous. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Oh!